0: Welcome to Indie Insider presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we speak with indie video game developers, publishers, and industry professionals about their projects, their stories, and their advice to others. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show I sit down with Jason Della Rocca, co-founder of Execution Labs, a company looking to invest in early-stage game studios. Jason and I chat about his extensive history in the industry, the structure of execution labs and investment funding, how indie developers become real entrepreneurs, and Jason shares his advice for those looking to make it in the indie video game industry. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring and even educational services for developers publishers and gamers alike which is why we get to bring this show to you speaking of which be sure to subscribe to our show on itunes and other podcast services across the internet and please leave a review if you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts questions or even request a professional to bring on the podcast send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com or reach out on twitter at logan a schultz Finally, special thanks to Jason for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, Jason Della Rocca. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I am talking to Jason Della Rocca. Jason, how's it going? Going very well. Thanks, Logan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking on a Tuesday today, just the top of your week. Uh, how was your weekend? Pretty good?
1: <laughs> I have boring weekends. I mostly do my laundry and vacuum. There is nothing wrong
0: with that at all. <laughs> That's what I get things done, too. Well, uh... It's very wintry down here in beautiful scenic Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I have my uh, eggnog in front of me. I get to chat to you.
1: Well, it's uh, you know we're we're in Montreal, so it's uh, already snowy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Do you like the winter? Are you pretty excited for the season? Uh, I, I guess the the computer fans keep me warm. There you go. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well. Jason, I don't want to spend too much time chatting about you because I think we have some really exciting things to talk about. But if you could, give me the elevator pitch of who you are. Where do you come from?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been in the game industry for about 20 years, or over 20 years now. Um, Back in the early days, it was more so on the 3D technology, you know, middleware side of things. Uh, Then for about nine years, I was the... Director of the International Game Developers Association, yeah, uh, which was a you know an amazing opportunity, uh, also very challenging, uh, but but gave me sort of access to I mean really every aspect of the industry, working with students, working with uh, developers, working with publishers, dealing with uh, you know academia and government and investors, uh, you know from the four corners of the globe. Um, and really sort of an unprecedented opportunity to uh, to help the industry move forward. Uh, after that, I was doing a, a bunch of uh, business-oriented consulting and also working with governments around the world on how to support and grow the game sector in their particular region. Uh, and then that led to Execution Labs as a early-stage investor in, in games, and uh, Execution Labs is still what largely keeps me busy today.
0: I won't dwell on this too long, but it seems like the work that you really did, you know, when you were with the International Game Developers Association and uh, with Perimeter Partners, that was your consulting agency, correct? Yeah. Um, It seemed like you got some nice recognition for that. People were very, you know, grateful. You had a big hand in kind of building this indie industry that we're talking about now. Well,
1: I mean, the (laughs) IGDA is, I, I mean, that's far too much uh, uh, credit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more like a footnote in, in a bunch of this, but, um, you know, the IGDA is about international, not specifically indie, so it's really meant to cover all developers from students right. and amateurs and hobbyists through indies, you know, through the, you know, studios and then the large AAAs. It's really a professional society for game makers, you know, regardless of their employment uh, status. Um, right. And, you uh, uh, you know that 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 represented a whole bunch of challenges because you know the things that an indie developer worries about uh, are not the same things uh, as what you know an employee at uh, ea might be worried about etc uh, so so definitely some things in common but some things uh, different and uh, you know in terms of recognition I guess, um, the um, I got the inaugural inaugural ambassador award at the Game Developer Choice Awards a few years. That's back. right, yeah. And that was uh, that was a very humbling, uh, very humbling experience.
0: Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, you know, I- years later, but congratulations nonetheless. <laughs> Thanks. So then, let me ask you this: kind of moving towards our main topic, how do you go from? Having your hand in the IGDA, to execution labs working with, you know, more indie developers and working to fund projects.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's kind of a, a, I guess you would never have planned it that way, but in hindsight, it kind of makes a nice a nice story. Uh, in that, during the time at the IGDA, part of the work was certainly about developing community, uh, connecting developers, connecting developers with other stakeholders in the game industry. Uh, and then and then part of that was also working with governments and, and economic development agencies who, who were more and more seeing games or the game business as a really attractive business to have in their country or region. Um, and so you, know, you can imagine some, you know, Uh, a government, high-level governmental meeting where they're sitting around a table saying what sector should we be supporting or intervening to help with and people going around the table saying, okay, well, there's, you know, biotech and green energy and and then someone saying video games and then everyone looking <laughs> at that person like they're crazy. And then, <laughs> and then that person saying, well, hey, it's a, you know, multi-billion dollar global industry, high exports, double digit growth, knowledge economy, you know, all these kind of things. And all of a sudden, you know, games ends up on the top five or top three list of businesses you want to have more of in your region. Uh, and so then that government person's told, okay, go make stuff happen and they don't have any clue how the game industry works and so they do a little googling and they find me as the head of the industry association you know at that time and so I kept getting calls from you know government or, or agency representatives saying I need to figure out how the game industry works and how to support the community and and you know catalyze growth and all this kind of stuff and so, you know, towards sort of the tail end of my uh, term at uh, IGDA, I I kept getting more and more of these calls. And that really wasn't, you know, consulting governments wasn't part of the role per se of IGDA. And so I saw an opportunity to work with these agencies in a a more concrete way. And so when when I left IGDA, that was one of the main things I was doing was working with and advising governments. Now, as part of that, uh, a key element was the notion of uh, incubators and accelerators and, and early stage investing, seed seed funding, uh, you know, mentoring the up and coming entrepreneurs, uh, creating an environment where new startups can happen that create new IP, such that that IP can go on to become you know the next Angry Birds, the next you know whatever big thing, mm-hmm. and that these governments you know had to put into place. Uh, those kinds of early stage programs, in order to support, uh, you know, the, the long term growth of of, of uh, game companies and indies and so on. Um, so I was doing a lot of that work, but you know, as a consultant, you're basically advising and coaching and 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 you know, giving suggestions. You're not actually on the ground doing the work. Uh, and then a couple of years later, you know, as I was sort of deep into that whole realm, I was approached by some investors. Uh, who were thinking similar things about the opportunity to, to seed fund indies uh, as a bit of a disruption versus, you know, the big entrenched franchises and, and the big entrenched companies and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and so then they said, well, you know, we like what you're saying. We like the fact that you're out there kind of preaching these topics, but we think you should do it for real and actually build one, you know, here in Montreal and what would that look like? uh and so that kind of started the conversation about building execution labs and really where where it came from. So so kind of a a nice sort of trajectory uh although somewhat, you know, un- unexpected at, at the time.
0: Well, Execution Labs, that's your current venture, right? You're based out of Montreal, yeah. um as you mentioned. Tell me a little bit of I guess what the model looks like at Execution Labs. Um we've had publishers on the Indie Insider podcast before, but never a company focused primarily on um, funding and partnering with these companies. What does that really look like? So so at, at the root,
1: we are an early stage investor in game companies. Uh, that means we provide funding to game studios making games. Uh, and we also are very hands-on, meaning we are providing uh, a lot of coaching and mentorship, uh, and, and imparting a bunch of our expertise and guidance. Uh, you know, sometimes on a very product level basis, uh, sometimes more so on a business, you know, strategy basis. Um, but you know, as we often see with many indies, they are primarily driven by their passion to create, uh, and are often very talented at that, but don't necessarily have the business acumen or business experience. Uh, to to you know fully comprehend the uh, the scope of what's needed on the business side of things, uh, mm-hmm. and then additionally, uh, you know we have a fairly large uh, network of partners, investors, press, uh, publishers, platforms, tech partners, etc. You know such that if you need help with something, you know we're literally one call away from you know whoever's in charge of that wherever in the world. So. Mm-hmm uh you know we we would say not only are you getting some funding but you are also getting an unfair advantage you know versus any other indie down the street because you have that coaching and expertise and because you have access to that global network uh, that we've developed uh, over many many years um so that that's kind of at a at a high level uh what what that means but uh Fundamentally, we are an investor in companies. We become a long-term partner. We take equity in your studio, uh, and and we work towards you building that studio into a successful, long-term, viable, and you know, uh, growing or thriving
0: studio. Sure, really being a resource for these young and new companies, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we were talking via email, you and I, prior to this recording. And a couple of things you mentioned were funding, pitching, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, the really the business side of games, and, and coming from that through the lens of Execution Labs, getting a little deeper. What does that actually look like for these companies? I mean, is this the Shark Tank of indie video games? Are they coming and you know doing their pitch, and then you you know you're essentially gaining equity from them in exchange for funding?
1: Yeah, I mean. I, I... <laughs> I suppose uh, that's, you know, that's not a bad reference point per se. I I mean, you know, we have joked about, uh, you know, what we do could be a a reality TV show in many ways. But um, I I mean, I suppose it's not as uh, as theatrical as that. But uh, in short, we will get uh, pitches. Uh, now, that could be you know, someone just randomly finding our email and hearing or her, you know, having heard that we have funds and so they'll send us kind of an unsolicited pitch. Uh, oftentimes, it's through our network or our existing uh, portfolio studios will recommend someone and say, oh, hey, Logan, you're looking for funding. You should talk to Jason over at Execution Lab's. You know, they've been great to work with. Here's his phone number. Here's his email. And so we'll get a lot of referrals uh, from, from our network. Uh, or oftentimes we'll go out to shows. You know, we'll be at GDC or, you know, whatever other uh, event where, where there are a lot of developers uh, showcasing their games. And then we'll, you know, be walking down the, the indie showcase or the mega booth or wherever. And we'll see something that really floors us. Uh, And then we'll start a conversation, uh, uh, you know, on on the spot there. Now, um, you know, regardless of how that initial contact occurs, then, yes, there is normally a pitch. Um, You know, that pitch could be more of a casual conversation uh, or something sort of impromptu because I just bumped on, you know, I bumped into you at the Indie Mega booth at PAX. So, you know, we're not on stage with a screen and a prompter. And, you know, it's like it's just like, hey, man, tell me about this project. Uh, and it's kind of on the spot, very, very uh, impromptu. Uh, and then, sure, there are times where we book a meeting and then you come to the studio and and you're kind of, you know, you're standing up in front of us and you're delivering your pitch in a, in a more formal way. Um, so so the exact format is, uh, you know, v- variable in, in that sense. But but at the end of the day, you're pitching saying, hey, this is what we're working on. This is the team. This is the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, our our. our are we interested in collaborating and, and supporting you?
0: So perhaps you can share a piece of insight or advice at this point for the aspiring indie developers out there listening. What makes a good pitch for an indie developer? If you had to say,
1: ah, yeah, I mean, this, uh, this could be like a whole day workshop. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- th- there's a few things. One is understand who, who you're pitching to and what you're pitching for. Meaning, if I'm pitching to a publisher for marketing support for my project, that's a much different kind of pitch than if I'm pitching to an investor that's going to invest and take equity in my studio. And so, even even just knowing, am I pitching my project or am I pitching my studio? Uh, you know, that that's sort of an important. You know, fork in the decision tree, uh, and and a lot of developers don't think of that. It's just, oh crap, I need some money, I've bills to pay, uh, you know. Let me go find some of those people that have the monies and go ask them if I can have some. Um, and, and so, you know, you really do have to think about: Am I going to present my company as a long-term investment, you know, opportunity? Or am I going to present this project I have right now as a good chance to make money, you know, within the next X many months? Um, and and the reality is that how you pitch, who you pitch to, you know, what the economic terms are, what the you know issues around control and all this kind of stuff differs dramatically whether or not it's the company versus the, the project.
0: Do you find that execution labs generally invests more in companies than in actual we, IPs or just games? We
1: we only invest in companies now. Okay. Yeah, because okay. We, we are an equity investor. So, so you know, we invest in the company. Of course, the company is making games. Uh, but ultimately, our evaluation is on whether or not the company has a future, if the company and that team can build and grow something over time, if... You know, if they have a roadmap of games that we think over time will will grow and become massively successful., uh, so it's a much much longer term perspective. And that is true of most uh, VCS or venture capitalists or or what we typically call as quote unquote investors. Investors right. tend to be oriented towards the team and the company's long-term potential, which is much different from, project financing, which is normally what we would link to publishers, right? Publishers right. to this day remain probably the largest single source of project financing in the industry. Uh, but th- those deal terms and stuff are, are, are dramatically different from, uh, you know, taking on an investor into your company.
0: Well, so we've talked about pitching, and we actually talked about funding quite a bit as well. One of the other things you mentioned was Entrepreneurship, And this is where I wanted to bring up uh, an article that you published recently uh, as a guest post under the Canada Media Fund Trends. Um, and you talked a lot about uh, kind of the state of indie video games and studios in Montreal, where you are. You talked about the first ever game development conference in Morocco. Uh, but it seems like the kind of center, the core of that article was about uh being an entrepreneur within this industry, as opposed to being a hobbyist, can you speak to that just a bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's something we've seen uh, in the studios and and founders that we've invested in. Uh, this kind of struggle with identity as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, the, the game industry. That there's a lot of kind of mythology around indies. Um, and the example I gave in the article was like Phil Fish uh, behind Fez right. and, and, you know, where it was really chronicled, you know, his sort of rise and struggle was chronicled in Indie Game, the movie, uh, you know, where, where we still kind of romanticize the notion of being a starving artist, you know, suffering for your craft to create something truly unique and special. Uh, you have to endure those rigors and, and so on and so on. Um, and so many indies kind of hold those romantic notions uh, and have a hard time reconciling that with the idea of building a business and making a game that's a product in a marketplace that will generate revenue so that they can pay employees and all this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, that's fine if, if it's just a hobby for you. Um, and it's fine if truly you only want to create art with no, you know, commercial intent, uh, and you know, you have a a partner that's very supportive, or you're still living at home, and your parents are essentially, you know, your financiers, and and you have that, or you won the lottery or whatever, you have that kind of freedom <laughs> uh, to just sort of use games as your canvas to express yourself. You know, that's wonderful and that's powerful and that's part of what makes game creation so amazing. Uh, but if you're gonna ask someone to fund you, if you're gonna you know, take on investment or work with a publisher or hire staff. I mean, that's an entrepreneurial endeavor. uh, And you need to accept that you're not just a game maker or a game creator or game artist, but you are also a business person. Uh, And and you have to take on that role and and those responsibilities in addition to your game creator role. Um, And and that's non-trivial, but is necessary. Uh, And so that article sort of talked a little bit about that. Uh, in the, in that sort of uh, you know struggle between starving artist and what many would call kind of a sellout, right? Like you know this expectation that oh you're not indie if you're making money, or what you're doing is not meaningful if you're doing it to you know generate revenue. Uh, and oftentimes I try to present a, a kind of a, a more nuanced look that it's not this binary choice between sellout and starving artist. But there is this notion of indie entrepreneurship kind of in, in between, which means you can you can do meaningful, creative, innovative work, but doing so in a context of commercial intent
0: uh, and you know actually generate uh, revenue in a meaningful way. Well, I have to say, um, Jason, to you and to the audience, if you haven't listened to our episode last week uh, with Mark Soderwall, we talked about very similar things about. You know it, we even said the term selling out and how to still be a business person and how to still be you know intentional with that um, so this is great Jason thank you so much for sharing sure. uh, you know these thoughts they're extremely helpful uh, I was looking through your list of um, developers and companies that you have in your portfolio that you're working with currently I have to give a shout out to kit Fox games and Tanya and the team over there I enjoy them a lot are there other projects that are, you know, coming out of uh, the portfolio at Execution Labs that you're excited about right now? Oh, well, I mean, we... I know, I'm I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize.
1: I mean, we, you know, we only invest in awesome developers. So everything that's going on is, you know, crazy amazing. Um, So, geez, who's got stuff? Coming out in the near term horizon, Uh, probably uh, I guess uh, Sand Sailor with um, Black the Fall that's coming out soon. Uh, That that was heavily on the conference uh, expo circuit this past year. Yeah, Uh, that's kind of an interesting one. That's a team from Romania, uh, and you know the game really is kind of an expression of them dealing with their communist past and and the struggles of of you know liberating. From from, uh, from communism and stuff. So it's really kind of deep, uh, deep uh, symbolism there. Uh, you also have uh, Artifact Five with Anamorphine uh, coming uh, oh, coming yeah. up uh, in the next couple of months. Um, they also were heavily on the festival and, and uh, expo circuit, um, and that that one's just uh, you know as you play it, every moment is kind of a, a mind blowing moment. It really is a, a different kind of uh, kind of game. Uh, then you have uh, a couple of projects that were picked up by uh, Gambitious. Um, one is uh, Outreach, which is a kind of a Soviet-era uh, cosmonaut thriller out in outer space, uh, you know, very deep story. Uh, and then another one called Deluvian, uh, which is a you know future post-apocalyptic, but under the sea. Uh, sort of adventure action game where you're in a submarine and you're a captain in this kind of very Jules Vernish 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea type uh, type environment. So the, the, those are games uh, kind of coming out in the next next few months.
0: Well, that begs the next question I'm going to ask, which is after the pitching and after the funding and after you know, kind of establishing the relationship you have with these companies you partner with, how hands-on is Execution Lab's through the process of, of putting these projects out there.
1: Yeah, it really depends. I mean, certainly at the beginning of the relationship we're very hands-on uh, and um, that, that evolves over time. Uh, you know So for example, Kit Fox, uh, Kit Fox is one of the very first teams that graduated from uh, execution labs. Uh, but Tanya and the Kit Fox team, you know sit barely 30 feet from my desk. Uh, we're all in a, in a big co-working space uh, here in Montreal. And so I, I see her every day now. You know I don't see the team from Romania every day or the team from London or California or whatever, but you know, so that's kind of unique in the case that, uh, that Kid Fox is here in Montreal as well. Uh, but at, at this stage, you know, kind of two years after uh, graduation from the program, you know we're still involved, I would say at a strategic level. Uh, we still give guidance. Uh, in terms of long-term strategies and, and direction of the studio uh, will also still be quite hands-on in terms of some of the business development efforts. So making introductions to uh, other uh, publishers and investors and sort of keeping our, our ears and eyes open for, for opportunities for them to collaborate with, you know, whatever platforms and, and partners that, that make sense. And so, so we, we do that with, uh, with all of the, all the studios in our portfolio and that, that speaks to what it means to be an equity partner, right? We you know, we own shares in Kid Fox and, and, and all the other studios, uh, and that means we're their partner for as long as we own those shares, which normally, you know, is, is many years. So unlike someone who's investing just in a project where the goal is to get that project out the door, you know, we're really there about building uh, the studio long-term and helping it grow and succeed and, and thrive over time. Um, you know, just the nature of that involvement changes over time based on their needs and where they are as a company. Uh, and It is quite different on day one of the relationship where it's very intense and, and hands-on versus, you know, two years, three years down the road where it's much more kind of strategic and, and high level.
0: Uh, I should clarify before we get too far away from it. Uh, Kitfox Games, the developers of um, Moon Hunters, they just released their expansion as well. Uh, I've just worked with them a bit in the past, so that's why I bring them up. Um, sure. But I, I quite enjoyed their project. That was great. That's awesome. Um, so I guess my, I guess final question in this area is: at the end of the day, how do you decide what companies you want to partner with? What really makes a company uh, right for Execution Labs?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And for most investors, that evolves over time. You know, as the market shifts, as, as technology changes, uh, as you gain experience in terms of bets that you took in the past and how did they work or not work, you know, you, even yourself as an investor, uh, your, your sort of thought process evolves over time. So, you know, if someone's listening to this podcast two years in the future, uh, you know, whatever I say right now certainly uh, will have evolved. And, and same thing if, you know, someone I talked to two years ago was trying to pitch us, uh, you know, what we see now is much different than what we saw back then. So I, I think it just, you know, in general is cognizant. And, and as a side note, it's one of the challenges if you are looking for publishing deals or investment and you look at, you know, that investor's portfolio, it may include deals they did a year two years ago. And you'll say, oh, well, we're just like that, you know. So obviously, they like our kinds of games or companies. But chances are that their thinking may have evolved. So you can't necessarily assume that that's, you know, they like that kind of game uh, by by default. Um, but but you know, we are a for profit entity. I mean, we're you know, we're not just doing this because we we love it. I mean, we love it. We enjoy it. But but we ourselves are venture backed. So we have our own investors that are expecting us to make smart decisions with with the funds that they've given us, uh, and to find winning studios that will grow uh, and generate you know meaningful revenue over time. So, you know, there, there very much is this kind of cold hard cash type perspective of. You know, we're going to invest because we think that the money we give you, will we will return on that money many times over for ourselves and our investors. And, you know, I think if you're a developer and you're looking for someone else's money, you need to understand what those economics are. And so if you're taking funds from a government grant, you know, maybe the, the expectation of return is zero or, or like pay back the loan or pay back the grant. That's much different than if you're taking venture capitalist money and they're going to give you a million dollars because they think you're going to be the next super that's going to sell for a billion dollars, you know, in four years. Um, you know, if you're not in a position or even willing to go down that path, then don't take that money. Um, so, so you have to understand what those expectations are. And this sort of goes back to my earlier comment of like understand who you're pitching to uh, and, and how their economics work. So. You know, first and foremost, we are a a venture-funded for-profit vehicle, uh, and so there does have to be this sense that we're investing in you because we think there is, in fact, long-term potential for for growth and and uh, and a return. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, it's really about the team. I mean, everything we do is about the team because we're we're banking, we're betting on you as the leaders of that company to to build. And grow and get to that point of of value, and so you know, do we believe that you have the right tenacity and perseverance? Are you coachable? Um, You know, as as a co founding team, do you have a nice complementarity of skills? So you have someone who's more technical and someone who's more creative and someone who's more you know uh, business minded. Uh, You know, if you're a team of a bunch of programmers and you're all just techie techie's, you know, it's going to be really hard to build a long term. Uh, you know, thriving company, if you're just, you know, sitting there always trying to tackle engineering problems. Uh, likewise, if you're just a co-founding team of creative, you know, designer artist people, um, it's going to be very hard for you to, you know, really build a company. So so we're looking for a complementarity of, of skill skill sets um, and coachability and, and, you know, the right mindset of tenacity, all, all that kind of uh, good stuff. Um, and, you know, today, a lot of the stuff we're looking at is much more, Multiplayer oriented, scalable, uh, looking at you know high degrees of social engagement, or ways to leverage the you know streamers and YouTubers and Twitch as a way of building organic growth uh, and kind of circumventing uh, uh, you know high high paid acquisition budgets, all this kind of stuff. So you know it's very challenging for for indies that are trying to build businesses or be entrepreneurial. Is that you know building an awesome game. Is just the starting point. Like that's the baseline. Uh, you really have to think about the game and the audience, and how do we get it to that audience, and how do we, you know, how do we get noticed vis a vis the hundred other games that that audience is, you know, going to get bombarded with, and uh, and if you're not thinking of those things, you know, it's it's a, it's a real turnoff.
0: How do you decide that you're going to pursue multiplayer? You're going to pursue streaming with your you know, the companies you want to partner with now, is that just based on current trends, what you guys are seeing, you know, within the Execution Labs team?
1: Yeah, I mean, so so uh, again, I mean, th- this is all in the context of, you know, this is business, right? I mean, we're trying to build games that make money. Um, and just as a caveat, you know, I, I, I fully respect those who aren't interested in that and just want to express themselves. And as, as we said before, I mean, that's, that's powerful, but on the assumption that we're trying to build businesses and we're taking publishing deals and looking for investors and building mm-hmm. a company, mm-hmm. you know, all of those businessy things, um, <laughs> you know, like like it's a different conversation. So, one of the biggest mistakes we see from from developers is they'll come in and they'll pitch. Well, I mean, two, two main problems. One is uh, they'll pitch a project. You know, I don't know, whatever ninjas. I, I'm I'm gonna build ninjas in space and whatever. It's gonna be super awesome. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just it's just three, four of us, so we're a small team, uh, and uh, we really like ninjas. And so here's this thing that we're building, and uh, you know, we only need about I don't know, call it 200 grand to pay ourselves and an extra artist. I don't know, whatever the usual kind of kind of story, and then, or a zombie game maybe is a better example. And we're like, well, Logan, uh, you know, there's a lot of zombie games out there. You know, How do you know how much this one's going to sell vis-a-vis all the others? Did you do your research? What's the competitive landscape look like? Um, and, I mean, chances are most people haven't done that. It's just like, well, we like zombies, so we're going to make a zombie game. Uh, and it, even if they did do their research, they're like, oh, we looked on Steam Spy or App Annie or whatever, and we see some numbers, and uh, you know, we think it'll make you know, whatever, this many units. And they'll say, what's the budget? Well, it's 200. Okay, and so if you think you're only going to sell, you know, whatever, 10,000 units at $20 per unit, you know, you're, you're proposing us a break-even opportunity. And they and they never sort of connected the, like, this is what it takes to make the game, and this is what we think the market potential is, and like, oh, crap, we're not going to make a profit. Now, Now, of course... I mean that's speculation. They may make zero. They may make fifty million. You never know at the end of the day how the market will will receive it. But a, a, as a baseline, you know if you're if you're sort of thinking is like, oh, I think I can break even. Like, why am I going to give you my money? It's like I, it's safer if I just leave it under my mattress than than to risk it, <laughs> you know, than, than to risk it on on yet another zombie game. So so we will often get that kind of pitch where where. You know, the, the best case scenario kind of nor- like, ah, maybe we break even. And it's like that, that I'm just not compelled to. Re- even I think, you know, I think you're cool and the zombies look good. Th- like the opportunity is not there. Um, so that, That's sort of one, one issue where people aren't doing their homework or market analysis. Another is that the, the choice of game or style of game inherently limits the upward potential of success. And so the classic example, and and I've given this one several times, is is a couch co-op game or a local multiplayer only game where, you know, three, four developers, they come in and they say, listen, we're working on this awesome couch co-op game and uh, we've gone to PAX and it seems like everybody loves it. And here's a picture of everyone cheering around our booth and uh, and, uh, it's it's building such amazing buzz. And, you know, we think we're being really responsible developers because you know, a couch co-op game is within our scope. We don't have to worry about network code. We don't have to worry about, you know, multiple level design. We just need, you know, this really sort of tight, you know, mechanic and a good feel with the controllers. And, you know, they're and they're right, you know, making a couch co-op game in terms of production load is relatively small compared to, you know, making a first-person shooter or an RTS or MOBA or whatever, Uh, I mean, of course, it's hard work to get one that feels good and has that charm and, you know, there's other challenges. But in terms of a production capacity point of view, you know, couch co-op games are relatively uh, on the sort of low end of the scale. And so they come in, they're all proud, saying, like, we're being really smart, we're being really prudent. We've gone to PAX and it's got great buzz. Uh, And then you you realize that, you know, the last hundred couch co-op games didn't even make, you know, 5,000 sales. Right, and you, you have one or two outliers you know, that have made decent money. But in general, you know, couch co-op is a doomed game because it implies that I actually have friends and that I have a sofa to sit them on. And then I've got four controllers and they're all over at my place. So so what happens is the, those games play really well at packs or shows and everyone loves them when you actually like, they're there on the sofa. But when it comes time for an individual buyer to purchase that game usually couch co-op games kind of get passed over and so they kind of come into that pitch all excited and full of you know pride and that they're doing something really great and you're like yeah but you guys are going to fail you know you're not going to make money the game's not even going to break even you like like you thought you were being smart but you inherently picked a game that or a game style that generally is one of the hardest ones to make a profit with. And so, like, like I, I can't invest. Like, there's no reason why I'm, I'm going to invest in that. Um, so that that that's kind of a big mistake. And, and so that then leads to the notion of, well, why multiplayer, you know, network multiplayer, online multiplayer, um, and and social engagement and hooking into Twitch and streaming streamers and stuff, because you're trying to find hooks to get the game noticed, right? If the game inherently has mechanisms by which it encourages you as a player or a fan of that game to bring other people to that game uh you know then that you know that helps sell the game that helps get the game out there um, and you know single player narrative games and stuff like that don't don't tend to do that uh, as
0: well well I don't know if our audience can ask for any more advice from you Jason I mean you've just been you know spewing knowledge <laughs> on this this podcast so um so thank you so much for your time, for joining us My on pleasure. the show. Um, before I let you go, just a couple of last things. Sure. Uh, first off, you mentioned before we started, and actually in the middle of the episode, that you uh, are at a kind of co-working space right now, um, gameplay space. Can you talk a little bit about that? You seemed excited by it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so gameplay space uh, is our co-working space dedicated to game developers uh, it's a physical space in downtown Montreal. Uh, we have about 100 developers uh, working across roughly, I think, 19 or 20 studios. Uh, Kid Fox is based in here in Gameplay Space. Uh, we have the Outer Minds team. Those are the guys making uh, games with PewDiePie are based in the space. Uh, and a bunch of other cool cool studios uh, as well. Um, and you know, it's just a really rich environment for... Developers, any developers, to support each other, cheer each other on. I mean, every every day at lunchtime, you have folks from across, you know, four or five different teams, just kind of hanging out and sharing their challenges and giving each other tips. Uh, and because of that critical mass, uh, we get investors and press and publishers and uh, you know delegations from all over the world that are passing through to kind of see what's going on. And that creates new opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily have have anticipated. You know, we've we've had. Uh, five folks from Valve come and hang out here to talk about Steam. We've had the Xbox crew come in and talk about ID at Xbox. Uh, We've had reps from Apple and Google and Sony and, you know, Epic and and, and the Unity folks. You know, there's just stuff going on here all the time. And so, uh, you know, Montreal is a bit unique in that we have so many developers. It's so dense here. But we see these kinds of call it collectives or co-working spaces elsewhere. I mean, there's one in Toronto uh, called the, the Gamma Space. You have uh, the Game Nest. I believe that one's in San Francisco. Um, you have the one in LA that I forget their name, a, some, something city, Game City or something, I forget. Uh, you have the Boston Collective uh, in Boston, obviously. Um, and I, there's a collab in, in Arizona, um, there's, just, there's just a lot of cool stuff and, and all over the world as well I mean there's a really big one in Melbourne and uh, in London and Brighton and uh, you know so if you're, you're an indie and you're kind of just stuck in your basement I, I would encourage you to seek out your fellow indies and, and look for opportunities to build this kind of kind of collective structure uh, in Montreal we're very lucky that we were able to go to the city of Montreal and get a bit of money from the economic development department To help fund the creation of the space and buy furniture from Ikea and, you know, paint the walls and whatnot. Uh, And so sometimes, you know, you may be able to find that kind of economic development money, you know, where, where as a game maker, the city doesn't invest in game projects. But if you come to them with this kind of more of a structuring activity that provides economic support to up and coming studios... You know, as 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 money to like buy buy equipment and furniture and paint the walls, like they may have pockets of money for that, uh, and so I, I would highly recommend you know trying to build something of that nature. And the the the, the value has really been uh, immeasurable.
0: It sounds like it. I can tell. Well, uh, at the end of every Indie Insider episode, I do ask my guests to kind of gather up all their past experiences and their stories and their thoughts, and, and share a final and a general piece of advice with the aspiring indie developers out there. Of course, you've already shared, you know, an immense amount of insight and uh, knowledge and advice, but is there anything else you'd like to send people home with? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. you got to prepare me for
1: that. you got to prepare. Prefer... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, the, the main thing is, you know, if you want to, to actually build a business from games, you know, t- take that on legitimately and don't be afraid to call yourself an entrepreneur. Uh, and, and, you know, there are countless, uh, highly respected folks in the industry that, that I would say that are these indie entrepreneurs that everyone, you know, believes does amazing work, innovative, creative work, but also they're making crap tons of money uh, and there's there's no shame in it. So, um, you know, if you're going to take on that identity as an indie entrepreneur, you know, really, you know, put on the suit, even if it's a sort of symbolic suit and take on that role and take the responsibility to, to learn and educate yourself about business. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, game developers are problem solvers and the business is just another problem to solve. Uh, and I think for too long, people have just been kind of, you know, scared of the business, but really, it's just another problem to tackle. So, so take that on fullheartedly, um, and uh, you know, success is much more likely to come.
0: Well, this has been Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm uh, working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. Uh, and of course, they also offer motivational and educational services for developers, publishers and gamers alike, which is why this podcast exists. That's why I get to chat with fantastic people like Jason here every week. Of course, if you wanna be a part of the show, you have thoughts, questions, you wanna recommend somebody for the show, shoot me an email, logan at blackshowmedia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Uh, Jason, if people want to, you know, they're they're inspired by what you've had to say here, they wanna connect with Execution Labs, um, how do they find you guys out on those interwebs? Yeah,
1: I mean I'm pretty easy to find. Whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter, or just go to executionlabs.com or gameplayspace.com if you want more info on the on the co-working space. And I would also say for developers that are are looking into the funding uh, and, and pitching and entrepreneurial side of things, uh, I mean I've done a bunch of lectures at GDC and other conferences, so. Uh, I think if you uh, go up to uh, YouTube or even GDC Vault and search my name, you'll, you'll
0: get a bunch of lectures and stuff on, on funding. So that's a good resource. Yeah, great place to start. Yeah. Well, Jason Rocca, co-founder of Execution Labs, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate having you on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Logan. Yeah, of course. Have a good week. This has been Indie Insider, and we'll see you next time. Boom.
1: Oh,